here's what we're going to do right now. We are going to jump back into the book of Revelation. Actually, this little mini-series that we started in the book of Revelation. Uh, we started several months ago going through this great book, the book of Revelation. And when we got to chapter 12 and 13, uh, it's really one of those chapters that addresses this larger theme of spiritual warfare, spiritual attack in the Bible. And it's one of those things that we essentially said, kind of in line with what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians. He says, we don't want to be ignorant of the devices of the devil. And so the point that Paul is trying to make is that the devil loves to attack. He loves to destroy. He loves to bring down God's people. And he has these devices by which he uses to bring God's people down. And so I think one of the ploys of the enemy is to keep us in ignorance. Because he knows the longer we stay in ignorance, the more prone we are to fall prey to these potholes in the road, and we trip up. And we no longer live as God wants us to live, which is, again, like we mention all the time, as missionaries. If One of his uh, real fine tactics is to get you to even think that being a Christian is just about going to church. He's trapped you. Really, being a Christian is about being like Jesus, who was a missionary. Jesus came to this earth, to share the gospel, to live on mission, preaching the gospel uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, overcoming sin, uh, sharing the word of God with people, and living sacrificially even to the point of death, death on the cross. Obviously, we won't die sacrificially a death like Jesus died, but we are called to live on the same type of mission as Jesus lived. Jesus confronted demonic uh, attacks. Jesus was victorious over demonic attacks. Jesus was victorious because the Holy Spirit was in him uh, helping to overcome demonic attacks. Jesus was victorious because Jesus was able to understand and know and quote God's word. So the real issue is this. If you're a Christian, your main call, your main mission in ministry in life is to be a missionary like God. That's it. Satan's lied to the church for years causing us to think Christianity is about a bunch of people who hang out on Sunday morning, hear a message, critique the message, listen to music, critique the music, go home, complain for seven days, come back to church and start the same cycle over again. He's lying to us. When in reality, what God's done, what God wants us to do is live on mission, sharing the gospel. So we come to church to get encouraged by God's word, to be aware, to become illuminated by God's word, to become educated in God's word, to worship as a body our Lord and Savior Jesus, so that as we leave from here, we go back into the various places God's called us to be, whether it be a student or, you know, whatever type of business you work at or whatever uh, place that God has put you in your life, be it a mom, be it somebody who owns a business, whatever the role is that God's given you, so that you would live as a missionary to the culture that God's put you in. Does that make sense? That's how God wants us to live. And so the same dragon that regularly, at least in Luke's account, at least 20, 25 times attacks Jesus. Jesus has these uh, uh, interactions with demonic realm. Every single time, Jesus overcomes it. We're all familiar with the time when Jesus goes in the wilderness and he's attacked specifically. I think it's Mark chapter 4, first uh, verse of that whole thing. It says, and the dragon attacked Jesus. This is the reality of that. That is the life that we live. And one of the greatest desires for the devil is to just cause us to think, ah, no big deal. That's for like real saintly people. Well, see, that's the thing is that he's already got us if that's the way we think. 
Because one of the best things he loves to do is lie to us and to get us to think it ain't no big deal. And what ends up happening is we fall, we fall prey, and we become stopped in our tracks. So I said this last week to the evening service. I'll say to you guys, really the way I look at this for us as a church, as a body, is my job, all right, is I'm a Caltrans worker. My job is to put up the big orange cones to avoid the potholes in the road. All right, that's it. There's potholes that Satan comes and throws down in the road, and they're all over the place, all over the place. Some of you are in them right now. And you're wondering why your car has gone out of alignment. You're wondering why you're always going to the left, to the right, all these extremes. You don't understand why all these things are happening. Because you hit a pot, you hit a pothole in the road. And my desire is just like one of you guys. I'm one with you. I'm a, I'm a servant in Christ. I'm a son of God in Christ. God has adopted me as a son. Just like you guys have been adopted as sons and daughters. We're all one. But the reality is... We want to be able to bring about some illumination to some of these potholes so that we don't fall prey to the same traps. We don't fall prey to the same devices. So I want to try to, as best as I can, throw out the orange cones so that we don't fall in those things. That if you're in those things, that we can help you get out of those things. So that if you're going down the path of life this next week as a missionary, trying to live as a missionary for Christ, that you also would be aware of those potholes by observing the big yellow cone, big orange cone, so that you can avoid it, so that you don't stumble, so you don't fall. That's where we're headed. That's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get to work on this larger theme of spiritual and demonic attack so that we can be victorious, ultimately really trying to look at Jesus and all of this as our victor. All right, our great, ruling, powerful, strong king who also happens to be the dragon slayer. That's it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that really at the end of the day, you are Lord over all things, including Satan, including the dragon. And God, we just confess that sometimes we go in and out of consciousness of spiritual things like this demonic affairs sometimes we think they're real sometimes we don't sometimes we're convinced of them other times we just are convinced they don't exist father really ultimately at the end of the day you want us to live as missionaries just like your son did that's why jesus came he says i send you as the father sent me so i send you into this world god i pray that you would help us to live like that that's how you want our church to be that's how you want the church nationally the church worldwide to live not falling prey to these traps so help us father right now we pray give us humility i pray that you'd help me to be able to speak clearly the things that you'd want us to hear that we can grow and we can avoid areas that we need to avoid that ultimately we can look at jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who went ahead of us and was victorious so too we can follow christ and be victorious. So help us, we pray, to really fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to jump right into this because uh, really, in short, what we've been trying to do is look at the tactics of the dragon. Uh, Paul, again, says we don't want to be ignorant of his devices or of his tactics. So if you look at it this way, take a look at the first slide. Uh, we looked at this slide last week. Uh, if you think about spiritual warfare in kind of like this, uh, the past few weeks we've been looking at some more of the uh, covert types of attacks where the dragon, Satan, works more so like a sniper. He's camouflaged, 
We don't always see him. When we get struck by him, we're not always immediately, you know, claiming that that was a spiritual attack. We don't oftentimes see them as spiritual attacks. One of the reasons for that is because we don't see the dragon. We don't see the devil. We don't see demonic forces at work against us. Some of these things that we looked at are very common. We call them common demonic. These can be things like bitterness, just being bitter, hating people, wanting to be critical of people, calling up all your friends and you know, gossiping about them. These are various forms of demonic activity in the church. They're common demonic, so that's one of the reasons why we don't always call them as demonic, but they're common, all right? Uh, they are things that are nonetheless like a spiritual demonic attack, however, in a covert way. What we're going to be looking at today more so has to do with kind of the more overt, all right, the more blatant type of demonic activity, kind of like figure one or image one, where it's just, these are the things that typically, when you see them happening, uh, it's one of those things you kind of shake your head and you realize, duh, that is no doubt a spiritual demonic attack. These are things that, you know, where you're in your house, uh, you know, somebody just comes home and they start like going off on you, yelling at you. You're like, absolutely, there's something demonic about this. All right, there's something not quite right about this. It's just not right in this setting. These are, you know, circumstances where you kind of feel some sort of evil presence, uh, you, you just, you're kind of in tune to something not quite right, but there's certain things in your mind you just realize, that's just not how I normally think, and you immediately begin to think, well, maybe this is demonic. Maybe there's a demonic realm or device that's being triggered or at work in this particular setting. That's what we're going to be taking a look at here today. Uh, this is in light of the other two ways in which the dragon attacks, which is the world and the flesh, which is what we looked at over the past few weeks. So my encouragement to you would be this. If you've not uh, been here for all of these weeks, uh, we're kind of going on our fourth week right now, I would encourage you to go check out the other uh, MP3s that you can download on our website for free and listen to them. We want you guys to listen to these things so you can be aware. Again, so you can at least be aware of the big orange cones that scream, I'm right here, big old pothole. Be aware. Don't fall. That's what we want because we love you. We love the people in this church. We don't want to see you fall prey to the attacks, the tactics of the dragon, all right? So what we're going to be looking at today, the very first thing that we'll jump into uh, that we'll be real kind of identifying here today is physical injury is sort of a blatant form by which the dragon attacks, all right? Let me, let me read you the verses, and I'll make some statements about this real quick, but here's what I want you to see in Luke chapter uh, 13, verse 10. It says this, now when he was teaching... In one of the synagogues on a Sabbath, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, uh, woman, you are freed from your disability. Verse 15, it says, then the Lord answered her, or Lord, uh, then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. So what happens are the religious leaders come in, they're like, how dare you do a healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites. Aren't not this woman, who's a daughter of Abraham? whom Satan is bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. So there's, so there's something about this uh, physical malady, this physical injury that Jesus himself says is actually connected to demonic activity at work. Now here's what I want to say. Because this has been oftentimes abused a lot in modern day church over the past you know, 40 or so years, 50 years, especially in the realm of more of the prosperity doctrine, uh, there's sort of false teaching that goes on to say that every type of uh, physical malady or illness or sickness is somehow linked to demonic activity. So if you can, by way of reasoning, uh, cast out the demon or get 
the people to get rid of the demon somehow, then you can actually heal them from their sickness. So the way you do this is you exercise enough faith, you trust in God, you pray, you have people who love God, cast demons out as well, and they will be set free. They'll be healed. The faulty thinking behind that is that every occasion or every occurrence of physical malady is linked to demonic activity. And I think it would be wrong to say that. Because there are occasions, especially in the New Testament, where there are people, like Paul, who had a thorn in his side, thorn in his flesh, some sort of sickness, some sort of malady. He prays to God, God, take this away from me. And God says no. I mean, if it was a demon, it's not a really good, nice thing for God to not get rid of the demon from Paul. But the reality is, is that God loves Paul, and this was some sort of a physical malady that Paul had. He prays for God to take it away. God says, I'm not going to take it away, but I will give you grace to deal with it. I'll give you grace to work through it. That's the way I want you to work through this. So the reality is, yes, ultimate healing will come at some point. Usually the way that God answers, oftentimes either yes, no, or someday later. It's usually the way God answers prayer. God, will you heal me? Yes, no, or someday later will be the answer. All right? The someday later oftentimes can be when you die. (laughs) He'll bring about ultimate healing. But the reality is this is that there are occasions when people are physically sick or injured because of demonic activity at work. So this requires a lot of skill, a lot of discernment, people uh, really seeking God's wisdom and God's counsel to try to understand this and determine this. And to be quite frank with you, um, a lot of times there's a lot of abuse that goes along with this. So here's what I want to say. I have been in circumstances, we are as a church, are a church that do pray for people who are sick. We just did it this past week. We had a guy come on in. He said he was suffering from physical sicknesses. We had him come on in. We had elders of the church. We all laid hands on him and prayed for him. That's how we do it here. We pray that God will heal people. Now, the reality is, we don't heal people. All right? If you ever see some dude come along, he's like, I, I'm a healer. I heal people. Run. They don't heal. God heals. God is the healer. Now, God may use a hand of an elder or a leader or a man of God or a woman of God to bring that about. It's God who heals, all right? So there are occasions where God will heal, okay? (laughs) He'll heal the sound system. There are occasions when God will heal, but there are occasions where God may not always heal, okay? But some of the circumstances are, according to Jesus, connected to demonic activity, So we want to be careful about that. We want to just try to have a proper understanding of the way that these things sort of unfold. And some of these things, according to Jesus, are demonically inspired or demonically connected to some sort of physical malady. So the way that we handle these things is, like I said, we want to pray through them. We want to commit people to Christ so people are talking with us and we're uh, having dialogue with them. And they're like, listen, I got, you know, I got cancer in my liver. Well, we want to ask them questions like, "Are, are, are you drinking a lot? I drink all the time, wild turkey, every day. Our probably first advice would be like, you know, it's probably a good idea to stop drinking that much alcohol. One, you probably shouldn't be getting drunk. Uh, well, you shouldn't be getting drunk. Two, that alcohol is probably killing you. And it may not be demonic, but it may be a trap of the devil to get you to keep drinking all the time. Because what we'll look at in a moment here, the devil at the end of the day just wants to kill people. So the reality is stop drinking. Stop doing things that may be causing that, that might be traps of the dragon, and then you might be on a pathway to healing. So there are certain things that are connected. It takes a lot of discernment to try to figure these things out. All right. The next thing I want to take a look at is this. Torment. Torment. Acts chapter 5 verse 16 says this. People gathered from the towns from around Jerusalem. 
And they begin to bring the sick and those who are afflicted with unclean spirits. The word afflicted can also mean tormented. They were tormented by these unclean spirits. Another passage that I want to point out to you is Mark chapter 5, verse 2. It's this passage when Jesus uh, crosses over the Sea of Galilee, goes into this region that was called uh, the Gadarenes. And there was sort of this renowned guy that was there. Um, it's described as a guy that was like either demonically possessed or oppressed, the way you want to look at it. Uh, but what was going on with this guy is he was bound by chains. And uh, in the middle of the night, the guy would scream and shout out as loud as he could. And uh, he would literally cut himself, blood bleeding all over the place. He had scabs and cuts all over him. And what we're told that when Jesus got out of the boat to get, begin to walk into this area, this guy came running up to Jesus, fell on his uh, uh, face before Christ, and began to say to Jesus, are you here to torment us? So here's an interesting irony in the storyline. That the demons that are affecting and tormenting this guy are actually lying to this guy, telling them, telling him that Jesus is actually here to torment. It's a lie. The demons are tormenting this guy. They're afflicting this guy. So much so that he wants to kill himself. So much so that people don't know what to do with him. They're afraid of him. So they literally shackle him with chains to keep him bound. But this guy's really strong, so he's able to break out of the chains. Some sort of strength that's just beyond normal. And when he gets his hands free, he finds pieces of rock or glass, begins to cut himself. Because the mentality is he's just tormented in his soul, and his body is physically just acting out what his soul is feeling. But the irony, again, he goes to Jesus like, you're here to torment us, aren't you? Just like, I'm not here to torment you. I'm here to deliver you. That's what you got to understand about Jesus that he is not here to torment us. Rather, he's here to deliver us, to set us free. I mean, the irony is, again, even in our culture, is this. I mean, it is an issue. There are people that feel so tormented in their soul that oftentimes they will cut themselves. Physically, they will take knives, they will take sharp pieces, sharp edges, and they will actually cut themselves. And it's sort of a way of uh, self-judgment. They're judging themselves. Oftentimes, psychologically, inside, they feel super uh, defiled and bad and evil. They look at themselves in the mirror, and they just see just wickedness and defilement and evil. And so oftentimes, what flows out of that is this natural feeling of somebody's got to pay for this. Blood needs to be spilt for this person who's evil and wicked. I'll cut my own. And that is a torment of the dragon. Because in reality, it twists the truth. It conceals the reality, the truth of Christ, and presents it as a lie. Because the reality is even though in their heart they're crying out, somebody's got to pay, somebody has to bleed, somebody has to feel pain, is it conceals the truth that Jesus did bleed, Jesus did feel pain, Jesus did die in the place of the one who feels that need, that urge to torment themselves. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus bled for you so you don't have to cut yourself and hurt yourself and wound yourself to somehow create some sort of sense of justification. Jesus has already done that. And the dragon's really good at covering that up or causing that to be looked at as a lie or causing other people to think that, you know, Jesus is just here to torment. He's not here to torment. He's here to deliver. I want to share with you guys something. I honestly, quite frank, I've never shared with anybody. I shared it first service. There's only three other people in this whole church that I've ever told this to. 
all right? It's about torment. And the reason why I want to just kind of be honest with you guys and transparent with you with this is it's something that I personally struggle with a lot. It's one of the number one areas that the dragon attacks and affects me personally. So I thought, you know what, I, I, it's as hard as it is for me to even talk about it. It's just something I just don't talk about with other people. I never have just kind of common conversation with people and share this type of stuff. I want to share it with you guys because as we're going through this, I hope maybe, maybe it might provide some sort of sense of reality. Again, hey, I, I know where the cones are at because I put the cones there so that you don't fall in the same pit. But this idea of torment is something I struggle with personally a lot. Be quite frank with you. For me, it usually comes in the middle of the night, usually at a time where I'm not completely asleep, and usually at a time when I'm not completely awake, just sort of in this dream state. I'm kind of in this zone, this funk, this fog, and I can't think completely clearly enough to the point where I'm able to, you know, cognitively consider Christ and remember the scripture and repeat the scripture and speak the scripture and pray, because I'm just sort of in this weird funk uh, dream phase, but at the same time, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm enough awake to where I can, I can hear or feel, and I don't know if they're audio, audible voices, I don't think they are, but they're just thoughts that kind of come into my head and, and cri- criticize and speak and sort of lie and all, of, and, I'm, and I feel like I'm trapped sometimes, like I'm in a chair and I'm strapped, I've got chains all around me, I can't get out. Sometimes that can go on for two hours, three hours, sometimes my wife bumps me in the middle of the night, she's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I can't sleep. She'll lay hands on me and pray for me. Just lay hands on me and pray for me. Sometimes I'll get up, I'll go out in the living room, and I'll just read my Bible. Sometimes I I feel the only way to get out of this is I just got to get myself awake. Because if I stay in that little sleep state, it might go on for like an hour, hour and a half, I will just continue to be bombarded by the torment of the devil. I want to tell you something. Again, I've never shared this with anybody except for three people in this church and first service. Um, Several months ago, almost about a year ago, it was a Saturday night. I don't even know what time it was, maybe like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm not even certain. I I woke up, I was really hot. I took the covers off me, I got up, I was starting to just absolutely burn. Just absolutely just burn. My body was feeling like it was on fire. I don't know how to describe it, other than I just was was literally sweating. I was dripping with sweat. My my whole body, not just my face, but my back, my my whole body was dripping with sweat. I got up out of bed. Uh, to just walk, and then as I walked into, into the, the, our little closet area, I, my, my head started spinning, I got really faint, um, as I was, and again, I'd been standing up now for about a minute and a half, so it wasn't like, you know, i just get up and head rush, I'd been standing up for like about a minute and a half, two minutes or so, and all of a sudden, I, just before I fell down, I called out to my wife, I said, Sherry, call out to her, and I said, listen, I, I need you I think I might need to go to the hospital. And Sherry comes in, and she's just like standing over me. She's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? I literally fell to the ground. Everything just went tunnel vision. I couldn't see. My heart was palpitating. I couldn't, I couldn't even think. My eyes, my vision just totally went gone. It was like looking through a little cylinder. I was looking up at my wife who was looking over me, and she was just kind of waving her hands over me. And, and then all of a sudden, she just started praying over me. I literally thought at that moment I was going to die. I just absolutely thought... The, the thoughts that were going through my mind was, I'm not going to see my wife, and I won't be around to see my kids in the morning. I will be dead. My wife laid hands on me. She prayed for me. Just instantly, uh, the sweating stopped. Uh, I stood up. She's like, don't stand up. I'm like, I, I think I'm okay. 
She's like literally saying, don't, don't get up yet. And so I, I actually, I did get up and I, I was walking. I said, I, I feel better. I don't know what it is. I feel better. I, I thought I was going to end up in the, either in the hospital or I was going to die. It was so real. I went back to sleep that night. I woke up in the morning and I went to church and I preached. It was the most surreal thing that ever happened to me. Like in terms of that physical torment of my soul, of my body, it was intense. I, I, to me, I, I literally just, I, I went to a couple friends of ours that particular Sunday morning and I says, hey, can you pray for me? Um, I talked with them later on that day and I says, I, I literally thought I was going to die last night. And I shared with them, they prayed for me and they just said, look, I, I think that's just radical, demonic attack upon your body, upon your mind, upon your thoughts, upon your soul, torment. Some of you may go through that, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you two ways of which, and I oftentimes see the, the, the dragon using this type of torment to really attack us and bring us down. Hopefully it might bring some light to you. First of all, through these paralyzing fears. Paralyzing fears. These are fears that are just abnormal. They're not just the typical like, ah, I'm afraid. But they're fears that absolutely paralyze you. For me, personally, it's been fears in the past where I've, I've felt afraid of something that's going to happen to me. Or something that's going to happen to my family. So paralyzing. Like, I, I just, I, I, I don't want anything to change. I don't want to let my family out of my sight. I don't want to move. I don't want to do, I, I paralyzing fear to the point where I, I just can't even move. Um, several years ago, one of the houses that we were living in was going through a season of this. I think it might have been like two, three weeks or so, something like that. I felt like that at least. I couldn't sleep at night. I was, I was just feeling these, these intense fears pressing down upon me. And the only solution that I had was I would just go out and I'd go for these long, long walks. Uh, we would just, I, I, we lived close to downtown. It was on a street called Lincoln Street. And I would, just, I would walk outside and I would just go for a walk for like a mile, mile and a half. Uh, or I, I'm sorry, like an hour, hour and a half. And I would just walk around downtown. I, would just, I, 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 did, I had no place where I was you know, just going. I was just walking, just praying, crying out to God. God, help me. God, just, God, cleanse my mind. God, take away these fears that are paralyzing my soul. Breathing the fresh air was good for me. Getting some exercise. Uh, just walking was good for me. Sometimes, again, I would do this like at, at midnight, come home, sometimes 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes Sherry didn't even know that I was gone because I was just, I just, I didn't want to wake her up and I didn't want to scare her, cause her to stress because I'm feeling this. But these fears can oftentimes come and just absolutely paralyze you. It's demonic. It's absolutely demonic. Absolutely satanic. Jesus said this, John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. If that's you, if you go through these things, you need to understand the source of them. God does not bring crippling, paralyzing fear. That's not God's intention. God's intention is to bring peace. His peace that liberates. His peace that delivers. His peace that frees. That's the peace that God gives. Not a fear that cripples you. The second thing is this. Extreme confusion. This might be somebody that's just like in this overwhelming sense of like... I don't know what to do. Where you're so confused, you just can't go anywhere. It's again, to use the word, you're crippled. You can't move anywhere. You, you pray, you ask for clarity, you don't, you don't get any clarity. 
you just feel crippled. You feel as if there's a disconnect, that somehow the red phone that God got hung up on and the line was cut. You don't know how to get back to where God wants you to be. You feel absolutely just, just lost. It's confusion. God is not the author of this. I want to read you this verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It says, God does not, or God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace. What you need to understand is the source of these things. Again, my job, I'm just throwing out orange cones. I'm just trying to say, look, there's, there's, there's potholes in the road. You will fall into them. You will get stuck in them if you're not careful. If you're not aware of these things, you will fall in them. Even if you are aware of them, you will fall into them. But you need to understand how to get out of these things when they come. I, I, you know, I, I, can, I can talk about this for a long time. Last thing I would say is this. I remember when I was going through one of these phases. And for me personally, sometimes it can happen almost about once a month. On average, it's about when it happens. It might last for two or three days. But about once a month, two or three days, sometimes it can happen. It's like a series of several nights, three nights or whatever. Sometimes I wake up like two in the morning. I'm up till like four in the morning. Two, four, whatever. And, and I'm just, I can't go back to sleep. My mind is just racing, confused, fearful, feeling this torment. I just want you guys to be aware of these things. Because if you don't know how to fight these devices, these tactics of the devil, his whole job is to just take you out. God is not the author of confusion. He wants to liberate. He wants to set you free. Be aware of the ways in which God has provided the means to set you free. The third thing I want to take a look at is this. False miracles. False miracles. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, the coming of the lawless one is, one, uh, is by the activity of Satan, with all power, false signs, wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they have refused to love the truth so to be saved. Do you know that Satan actually can imposter, impersonate false signs, miracles, and wonders? Paul the Apostle actually wrote about this in Galatians. He said, listen, if anyone comes to you, preaches a doctrine or a gospel that's anything other than the gospel and the doctrine I've shared with you, even if it's an angel, I mean, even if it's an angel clothed in white, glowing, you know, awestruck type honor. Like, you're looking at this thing like, this is an angel. It's hanging out with me. Surely this guy's got something good to say. Paul says, if it's not pointing to Jesus, it's not a good angel. It's an evil angel. It's an evil messenger. And its purpose is to deceive. And one of the ways by which the dragon deceives is through these false signs, miracles, and wonders. And we live in a very highly visual culture, all right? One of the next big things that are going to be happening on the internet over the next two, three, four years is video is going to continue to become better. I just read about this recently that the next big move for telephones, cell phones, is video will be better able to be streamed on your cell phones. So what you hold in your hand right now, the device that you hold in your hand, all of you guys have a cell phone, I'm sure, uh, is that one day, uh, very soon, you'll be able to just get more video. The point that I'm trying to make with it is this is that we're a visual type of group of people. We like to see things. We like to see signs. We like to see things that uh, create some sort of sense of comfort or curiosity, whatever the case is. So we see things, and so the dragon knows this. He knows this. And so what he does is he is gifted and adept at being able to create counterfeit signs so that we can be deceived. So that we, rather than following after Christ, we follow after false signs, false miracles, 
false wonders that are intended to bring about deception, which really requires good discernment to be able to identify these things. The reality is this. This is one of the reasons why I think uh, the dragon is really good at moving in ways in which signs, wonders, and miracles can oftentimes take center stage in church-type settings. Be quite frank with you. I mean, this is one of the reasons why sometimes when people are advertising these types of things, different churches, they advertise it, signs, wonders, and miracles, because that is really, quite frank, good advertising. People will come. They see, fall, they see signs, miracles, and wonders, they'll come. It's something that attracts people. But what you need to understand is not every sign, miracle, and wonder is from God. There are demonic ways, demonic spirits that can also counterfeit these things. So it really requires good understanding, good discernment to determine, are these from God or are they not from God? One of the surest ways to identify these things is when you see signs, miracles, and wonders, let's say, what do they point you to? If they point you to Jesus, to love Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to honor Jesus, it's probably a pretty good chance it's a good sign. It's intended to bring glory to God. If it's a sign that brings glory and honor to the guy that's doing the signs, miracles and wonders, it makes him more famous and he's asking for more money so he can fuel his jet. And the reality is it's very possible these aren't real signs. They're not intended to give glory and honor to Christ. You can be skeptical of it. You can walk away from these things. But you've got to understand that one of the ways, in a blatant sense, in the blatant demonic, the way the devil oftentimes can work are through these signs, miracles, and wonders. Paul says that these things will increase. I'm going to read you Revelation chapter 13. This is actually where we're at in the text in the book of Revelation. It says this in chapter 13, verse 13. It talks about the second beast, which uh, many people believe to have... Uh, obviously emp- being empowered by the dragon himself, but this is more of like a, a religious beast, and its job is to try to create uh, an environment where people will worship and worship uh, some sort of image. Uh, in this case, uh, John tells us that really this beast is inspired and empowered by the dragon himself, but it's interesting to me to, to, to note what this beast is capable of. Here's what it says, verse 13. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. This is obviously a reference to the time when Elijah uh, called for fire to come down from heaven. Or even when, um, when Pharaoh was doing some of his demonic activity. and there were the, the, Some of his uh, false prophets were able to duplicate or replicate some of the, uh, the activities that were going on by Moses. And so he's basically saying these guys will one day have great power to bring these signs down to the earth. He says, and the signs that are allowed to work in the presence of the beast are to deceive those who are on the earth. You guys got to hear this. Because the reality is, I see Christians fall for stuff like this all the time. They see signs, they see miracles, they see wonders, and they never really stop to ask, is this ultimately bringing credit, glory, praise, honor to Jesus? Is it causing me to repent of sin? Is it causing me to live a life that gives more honor and glory to Christ? Or is it just sort of this demonstration of great power to get people all whooped up in some sort of a frenzy and somewhere Jesus is sort of off in the periphery? He's not the center stage. He's just kind of out there. He's the means to these things. No, no, no. Signs and miracles and wonders are the means to Jesus. Not Jesus, the means to the signs, miracles, and wonders. So make sure that you're careful about this so that you don't fall into those traps. Take a look at the next one. Accusation. 
let's talk a little bit about this uh, a little bit further. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Again, this is a verse that we've read often over the past few weeks. Here's what it says. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and of the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. This is probably uh, in the blatant demonic realm, one of the most profound ways in which the dragon attacks God's people. He accuses them. Uh, This is something I see often in people that are trying to walk with Christ. They feel accused. They feel judged. I want to try to help our minds to think through this so that when it comes, trust me, it will come, so that you will be able to know how to deal with it, so that you'll navigate away from it, so that you will be able to run to Christ and have your mind washed and refreshed and cleansed so that you don't sit underneath sort of this heavy thumb of the dragon who accuses you, all right? Oftentimes this can come in the way where people feel overwhelmed by their sin. They just feel totally guilty before God, and they don't know how to get past it. The two main ways in which this oftentimes comes to pass, first of all, is vague guilt versus particular conviction. Let me describe what I mean. Vague guilt. What I mean by that is somebody feels sort of a sense of guiltiness in their conscience. They feel something's not right. You know, you're to ask them, what are you thinking right now? They're like, I feel really guilty. Why? I don't know. I just feel really guilty. I feel horrible. I pray. I ask God to forgive me, to cleanse me. I go to church. I sing as loud as I can. I try to, you know, read my Bible. I try to go hang out with other believers. And I just always feel guilty. And I usually always ask people going through circumstances like this, tell me exactly what it is. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just start confessing anything. Anything from my youth, anything from the past week, anything from the past 24 hours. I just start confessing anything. The dragon is very vague. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, is specific. When the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to convict us of sin, you know exactly what it is. Like, ah, bitterness. I have bitterness towards that person. And God, like, puts this picture of them right in front of your face. You're like, ah, I got bitterness towards that person because of this certain circumstance. Or I stole this item from the job that day, and I've got to deal with that. Or, you know, I harbored, you know, anger and malice in my heart towards that person because of this. Or I had a sexual encounter uh, that was not with my spouse on this particular day that I feel the guilt of that sin in my heart, in my soul. The Holy Spirit's very specific with regard to sin. The dragon, it's just ambiguous. I see this in Christians all the time. I just feel bad, horrible, overwhelmed. Guilty, pressure, built up upon their shoulders. And the sum effect of it in their life is they're just melancholy, they're bummed, overwhelmed, they're not joyful, they're not rejoicing in Christ, they're not being good missionaries because they are so overwhelmed with this ambiguous guilt. Guys, it's demonic. It's demonic. It's satanic. It's not from God. God is always specific with the items that we need to repent of. The second thing is this, is endless uh, remorse or regret uh, versus, or uh, in condemnation, or feeling this constant sense of being condemned in the eyes of God. 
Okay, the reality is this. I see this oftentimes. This is something that we're going to take a look at even more once we get to some remedies about this. Not next week, because next week's Easter, but the week following that, we're going to get to some of the uh, precious remedies that Jesus sort of outlines for us to help us to even live victorious as Jesus lived victorious over these things. But the reality is this, is that when Christians feel this overwhelming sense of condemnation, like I'm a loser, I'm a horrible person, I'm evil, I'm not deserving of God's kindness or mercy or grace, I shouldn't even go to church. That's what the dragon wants to do. He wants to get you to feel so overwhelmed with your sin so that you just, you don't even want to, you want to, want to fellowship with God's people anymore. You don't want to go in and hang out with them. You don't want to go worship. You can't sing. You can't find yourself rejoicing in Christ because you're so overwhelmed by this heaviness of condemnation on your, on your chest, on your shoulders, on your back, just pushing you down. I want you to understand there is a distinction between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation comes from the enemy. That's him saying, you're a loser, you fail, you sin, you shouldn't go hang out with God's people, you shouldn't pray. You're just a bad, bad, horrible Christian. You're like the worst of them. That's what condemnation does. Condemnation has this propensity to drive you away from Christ. Conviction, on the other hand, comes from the Holy Spirit, and the conviction of God is very specific it pinpoints very specific areas in your life, and it's intended to draw you back to Christ, back to the Father, whereby you confess your sin. You cry out to God. You ask God to wash you and cleanse you. Christ graciously, mercifully comes to you and says, you're forgiven. You're my child. I love you. God is not a type of God that is going to constantly be holding sin over your head and saying, see, this is why I was questioning whether or not to save you or not, because you're just a loser. Oftentimes, these types of attacks come in the second person, right? If you've ever been around and you sort of begin to hear these voices, you're like, you're a loser. You are so stupid. You can't even sing to God. You don't even pray enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You, you, you stumbled again. You went onto the internet and got into porn again. You loser. I knew that you weren't even saved. Let me ask you something. If you had someone hanging out with you, walking behind you, always saying that to you, say it was a roommate or a spouse, what'd you do? What'd you do? Talk to me, what'd you do? Smack them. <laughs> okay, it's good. Uh, but the real, let, me, let me put it this way. But what if you have that and you don't see the person that's doing it? Who's saying it to you? It's the dragon. It's the dragon. His ploy is to get you to believe that. And when you believe that, you walk away from God. You feel so overwhelmed, so guilty, so unworthy, so horrible. This is sometimes why people go so far to the extreme of even considering contemplating suicide. The dragon just hates you. He'd rather you just die. And if you can believe the lie, if you can take the bait and believe the lie, he succeeded. Okay? so important for you to hear this, to recognize this, because I, I absolutely know there are people that struggle with this on a regular basis. You need to see and hear the lie, but you also need to understand the truth that it's not Christ who condemns you. That's why Romans 8, chapter 1, or 8, chapter 8, verse 1 says this, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of death has set me free, all right? It set me free. I'm, you are free in Christ. 
God is not holding your sin over your head anymore. That's not Christ who's doing that. That is the accuser, the dragon, who hates you. Okay? Take a look at the next one. Almost done. Death and murder is one of the things that the dragon brings about. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, 44. You are your father the devil, and your will is to do that your father's desire, for he was a murderer from the beginning. Do you know that Satan ultimately just wants to kill you? Do you know that? He was the first murderer, right? He literally worked it out so that Adam and Eve would be murdered. They would be killed. And he did it. He did it by deceiving them. He did it by trickery. He did it by baiting the hook, right? Baiting it, but disguising the hook. Putting the bait on it, making it look really good. They bought into it. They questioned God's goodness, God's kindness, God's love. And as a result of it, they bit the hook, or bit the bait, and swallowed the hook. That's exactly what the dragon tried to do. Ultimately to bring about death, to kill. Do you know that death is not natural? Do you know that? If you're a Christian, you have to come to grips with this. Because the reality is we can just live in this world and become so affected by this world, we're just like, ah, it's just all natural. You know that other false religions say that just death is just a natural part of life? I'm telling you, it's not. It was never God's original design, God's original intention. Death is the result of sin. Sin is the result of rebellion. Rebellion ultimately came through being deceived by the dragon, the father of all death. But God, in his great glory, sends his son, Jesus, as a missionary into our world to seek and save those who are dead in sin. And the way that Jesus confronted death was that he himself let death do to him all that death does, which is torment. Jesus took it all in his body on the cross and ultimately provides a way whereby we can be saved, conquering, overturning death and its effects. That's what the gospel does. Satan, the dragon, will do anything he can just to get you to die. And he realizes that if it can't be just in overt ways, one of the things that he oftentimes will do is he'll get you to drink too much so you'll die. He'll get you to take too much drugs so you'll die. He'll get you to live too uh, much in a sort of a sexual type of a way. You'll get an STD and you'll die. Whereby you'll just, and if he can't do that in a fast way, He'll get you to just kind of live in a way where you just drink enough Slurpees and you'll die. Eat enough Twinkies and you'll die. And he just wants us to die. Okay, is this making sense to you? He's not, Jesus is not the author of death. Satan is. Jesus reverses the effects and the consequences of death by his death on the cross. Jesus conquers death, puts to death, death, and his death on the cross. That's the gospel. The last thing I want you to notice is this. False spirits and spirituality is another way that's very blatant in which the dragon tries to attack. First John chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this, you have known the spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. And his point that he's making is this, is that there are false spirits, false teachers. These false, or these demons oftentimes will empower and give 
uh, doctrine and teaching to false teachers. These false teachers convey these things, tell them as truth. I mean, the reality is this, guys. We as a church, I, one of the things I absolutely love about Calvary Slow people, as I know you guys love God. I know you guys love God's word. We are a church that, to be quite frank, if somebody walked in here and they're like, look, I got a false gospel. Does anybody want to follow me? People would kick him out and probably kick him in the mouth, all right? God bless you guys. And the reality is this. That's not the way Satan works. The way Satan works is Satan comes in and he deceives people. He deceives people. He comes in with kind words. He comes in by communicating sort of a very soft form of the gospel where it does not emphasize the cross, doesn't glorify Christ. You know, we can even say things like this. You know, we're a Christ-centered church, and that's good, but that's not ultimate. We want to be a Christ-exalting church. Not just Christ-centered, where Christ is somehow at the center of our universe, but we want to be a church that exalts Christ, that we live with passion because God is worth it. And the reality is the dragon will sometimes come in and he will clothe people in plain clothes so that they can come in disguising the truth, disguising the reality of the cross, the potency of the gospel, the exaltation of Christ, by dumbing it all down, by making it all just kind of look normal and, you know, just trying to bring about some sort of a false watered down hope. And what ends up happening, what ends up happening, these false... Uh, Teachers will oftentimes cause people to think the most important thing is just being spiritual. We live in a day and an age in which that's the idea. It's like as long as we're spiritual, we're good, right? Wrong. Because the dragon is spiritual. The dragon does not have body. He's not physicality. He is a spirit. He is a dark, evil spirit. This is, this is why, quite frankly, you know, sometimes, like, even like an Oprah, I'm not trying to diss Oprah, but the reality is she's got this little section called spirit. It's the idea to just, like, talk about spirit. I mean, it might sound good, and it might really kind of flow and dovetail with the rest of the spirit of the age, the mentality of the age, where we don't want to really kind of, you know, go discouraging or kind of talking negative about anybody or anything. But the reality is you've got to understand there are spirits that are deceptive, and what they desire to do is because they come from the father of death, Satan, they will try to deceive people to get them to be destroyed. This isn't me just making this up. Most of you guys know me. I'm not the type of guy that goes extreme on discernment type stuff. In fact, quite honest with you, I've had a lot of it. I've been surrounded by it my whole Christian walk. And I've seen it absolutely abused to the point where people go way overboard and see demonic activity and everything. All they really do is they end up creating this atmosphere of fear. Everybody's afraid. You walk out the door, you're going to die. Because some sort of demon's going to jump on your back. And you better watch out. Only read this little list of books that I give to you because every other book is bad. That's not me. That's not how I live. But the reality that you've got to be aware of is the same flip side of that coin is demonic spiritual activity is alive. It's powerful. It's strong. It has the ability to deceive people, to bring them down. It is a pothole in the road. I'm trying to say be careful that you don't fall into it. Be careful that you test all things, test all spirits to see if they come from God. Do they point to Jesus? Do they urge you to repent from sin? Do they urge you to turn away from evil, to walk in the light, to walk away from darkness? Do they urge you on towards holiness? The spirit of Christ 
is a spirit that will ultimately lead you to a life that gives glory and honor to God, whereby you also let go of idols. The spirit of the age just says, you know what? Jesus is a way. Just be spiritual. That's what matters. Love your neighbor. Be kind. Do good things. Get involved in humanitarian efforts, and everything will be great. It's not great because the dragon's won. He's made you a moralistic sinner. Not the way Martin Luther described it, a justified sinner. There's a big difference. Because a moralistic sinner is just simply somebody that tries as best as they can to be as spiritual as they can, to live the best life that they can, just so that everybody else is happy in this world. But a justified sinner says, I'm a sinner, but Christ has made me clean He's given me life, and I want to live in a way that gives glory and honor, like a mirror reflecting back to Christ in everything I do. I want to position my life in every possible setting to be like a mirror pointing to Christ. Everything I do, pointing back to Christ. That's a justified sinner. You know what? There's a humility about that, because you realize, I'm a sinner, and I really need help. You guys, it's not enough to just be spiritual. You got to know Christ. You got to see Christ as the center of all things, as the purpose of all things. That's why Paul says, for in him and through him and to him are all things. Christ is the end and the beginning and everything in between. The author, the finisher of our faith. That's what we want to be about. But we also want to be not ignorant, falling in the traps stumbling over traps, becoming paralyzed by these traps, being stopped in these traps. We want to live in a way that gives glory and honor to Christ. And really the way this happens ultimately is we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. He's the author, the finisher of the faith. He went ahead of us. He himself, as a missionary, was attacked by demons. Jesus came out victorious. Jesus was tempted, just like you and I are tempted. Was Jesus tempted to be bitter? Yeah, I think so. Was Jesus tempted in every way like we are? Some people are like, well, was Jesus tempted with lust? Look, every way. It says every way he was tempted. I mean, I, to me, I just think everything, everything that you and I encounter was in that word, every way. But Jesus was without sin. And at the end of Jesus' life, when he just before he ascended to the Father, he turns to his disciples and says, so you guys, I'm sending you out. Just like the Father sent me into this world to go be missionaries, to live by the same power of the Spirit. You'll be confronted by the same demonic affairs, same demonic attacks, just like I was. He says, basically, Paul summarizes it in this word. He says, we are more than conquerors in Christ. I love that word. literally means super conquerors. That God has given us victory through Christ. What Christ has accomplished. We live the Christian walk through Christ. Not by us trying, attempting, gritting our teeth. That's moralistic behavior. Moralistic people will either feel extremely arrogant because they're doing a good job and they'll condemn everybody else. Or you will always feel overwhelmed and depressed because you always fail. Christians, justified, and equally simultaneously sinners, 
walk in their Christian faith in a way that's very humble. We just recognize we're going to fall, but we've got a great Savior that picks us up. We don't want to be ignorant of potholes. We want to help each other out. That means you help me out. I help you out. We help each other out. We're family. We're body. We love each other. It means we don't condemn other people that fall into their potholes. It means we reach out a hand and help them out. It doesn't mean you just pull them out and like throw a you know, verse at them and just be like, all right, go on. Be on your way. But we live in a way whereby we come alongside and serve and love and help and assist. That's how we are conquerors, more than conquerors in Christ. I'm going to pray. We're going to finish. We're going to respond to Christ right now. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Love him. Worship. We're going to confess our sin. We'll give our tithes and our offerings. If you're one of our guests, please don't have to feel any obligation to give. This is your church. It's a way for you to give joyfully, lovingly, generously, because our God is joyful, loving, and generous. We want to, we want to emulate him, love him, serve him, confess our sin. We'll partake of communion. We have communion in the back. Encourage if you're a family. Partake of communion with, together with your family. Husbands, lead your wife. Lead your wife. Be like the priest of the home. Take her. Take her by the hand. Pray over her. Be covering. Be a good leader, spiritual leader. Do it with your children. We're going to pray. We're going to sing, worship, repent, give, confess, partake of communion. Because God's a great God. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus, thank you for the cross. You are our victory. Victory is only known because of the cross, because of Jesus. So, Father, even now, we sing to you. We confess our sin to you. We ask, God, that you would wash us and cleanse us and help us to be aware of the devices of the enemy, to recognize that those accusations, those torments, all of these devices that he... uh, puts into motion and play that are constantly waging war against us. God, I pray that that we would see Jesus uh, rising up and beyond and above all of that. That we would see Jesus as great and as almighty and as all-powerful and as Christus victor. Christ, our victory. Help us just to worship you now.